I really like that song. That's a good one. Yeah. Acts 12. If you've got your Bibles or your journals with you, but I want to start with uh, something before we get there. It's always interesting whether you uh, prepare a Bible study for a group or maybe you lead a life group or, or maybe you're tasked with the, uh, the challenge of preparing a message on God's Word. It's always an interesting thing trying to bring a text that was 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years old that we know is still relevant and important for us today and try to understand what God is saying to us. What, what does it mean for us in our world today? So I want to start with a question. Do you need something from God today? Is there, is there something in you that doesn't even know where else to turn? You're, you, maybe you don't even know for sure why you showed up here this morning. The roads sure weren't very good. But you need something from God. Uh, maybe you're carrying a burden that just simply is too much for you to carry anymore. You've tried. You feel like you're at the end of the road and you just can't walk it any further. Maybe you're worried and you're unable to resolve a situation. Maybe you're sad or you're mad or you're scared or you're mourning. What do you need from God today? Maybe you're sick, whether it's in your body or even in your thinking. And you need God to heal you. You could be you're carrying an old hurt. You're carrying an offense. You're carrying something that someone did to you that causes you to continue to be angry, something that someone a long time ago forgot about, but that it's eating you up from the inside out. And I want you to remember that phrase for when we get to the end of the passage. Sometimes these things, when we try to do them on our own, literally eat us from the inside out. But today we're going to look at a passage and we're going to see what happens when God's people pray. We're going to see what happens when God is at work in our world. And so what I want you to think about as we do this, these verses come from 2,000 years ago, but they're relevant to your life today, just like they're relevant to my life today. Because a group of people are going to be praying, and they're praying to a God who is at work. And we can be people who pray because we know that God is still at work. So Acts chapter 12, starting in the first verse. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. It opens up with a murder. Herod kills James, the brother of John. So who is this Herod? It's a name that we read about in the Bible. In fact, there isn't just one. There was a number of them. (laughs) There's a lot of Herods throughout history. It's a title. It's not someone's name. This is Herod Agrippa is his name. Herod Agrippa I. He's grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one that, when Jesus was born, decided that he needed Jesus dead, so he just decided he's going to kill all the kids. He's the nephew of Herod Antipas, who was the one who had John the Baptist murdered. This Herod, like all the others, was manipulative. He was a politician of the worst order. He pretended, this one in particular, pretended to be a Jewish convert. And that's why he was persecuting the Christians, because he wanted the Jewish people to be happy with him. He wanted them to be pleased with his rule. So he persecuted the minority Christians in the hopes of gaining favor with the Jewish people. He pretended to be religious, but in fact, all he was is manipulative and and a liar. If he could lie and kill his way to to favor with the Jews, he wasn't afraid of doing that. His stake with Rome would go up as far as he was concerned. 
It's a great example of what happens when you try to pretend to be something that you're really not. It doesn't end up going very well, and it doesn't go well for Herod. He had murder in his heart. He had murder on his hands, and he had murder in his blood. It was kind of a family tradition. See, when these Herods, when they came across someone who they thought they got in their way, when someone opposed them or slowed them down or made their life a little bit difficult, they killed them. Jesus, John the Baptist, James. Now we're about to find out that Peter's next up. See, we've got him murdering James, the brother of John. This isn't James the brother of Jesus. We'll hear about him later on in the text. This is James, the brother of John. If you want to read more about these guys, go back to Mark 10. There's a passage there with Jesus where Jesus almost seems like he's talking about what it is that happens in our passage today. So we go on in verse 3. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, because that's what he was concerned about, keeping the Jews happy, that would keep them quiet. He proceeded also to arrest Peter. This was during the days of unleavened bread. He did this to have a following, to keep the people happy with him. And so here you've got all these folks that are gathered up in Jerusalem. It's almost like it's history repeating itself yet again. They're all in Jerusalem. Herod's going to make a statement by gathering up a couple of the most important Christians and doing away with them. His plan is to imprison Peter after he's killed James and then kill Peter just like they did with Jesus. See, the Jews love that one of Jesus' leading disciples was now in trouble. Because if you can silence another one of the voices, but they didn't learn because silencing Jesus didn't do anything. It just made things worse for them because it made the name of Jesus greater. But it made them love Herod in the moment. So this prison, we should talk about that. This is probably the Tower of Antonia. Uh, It is a, a part of the Antonia Fortress. It was built on Temper Mount by Herod the Great. It was named to honor his good friend Mark Antony. So if you're a history person, there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes together here. If you look on the screen, we've got some pictures. This is a typical Roman guard look. That's not me. That's not the look we want. That is not, that's the typical look of a Roman guard. I'm not so fearsome. These guys are fearsome. And we know that because we've got a lot of this stuff that's made it through history. We know very much what they look like. And so these are the kind of guys that would be guarding the prison. Get a look on the inside. we got two different views of what a prison cell would be. It was not a nice place. They didn't take good care of you, especially a capital prisoner who was about to be put to death. They didn't give those guys a whole lot of anything. And so it's very stark. It's very basic. Go on to the next one. It's stone with nothing else. You didn't get beds. You didn't get nice places to rest. There wasn't, you know, on-call food service. This was a tough place to be imprisoned. This is where Peter was. Verse 4, and when he had seized him, Herod now, when he had seized Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. One squad of four soldiers times four squads over three-hour shifts overnight. That's how they did it. Four soldiers, each would take a three-hour shift, 16 soldiers total here, right? That way nobody could sleep. They were always awake. There was no way this guy was going to get away. So verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by the church. The church did what it could. They couldn't break through. The people couldn't break through the Roman guard. They couldn't break down the walls of the building. But you know what they could do? They could unite in prayer for Peter. And what is the one thing that the people of God can still do today? The people of God can still unite in prayer. 
It's kind of fun to see and hear a little bit of what's happening because it takes extreme circumstances, but we're hearing people unite in prayer for the people of Ukraine. And it's been interesting because I've heard some people say, well, I'm praying for Russia because you know what? I don't think all those guys want to be doing what they're doing either. What can the church do? We can unite in prayer. Luke makes sure that throughout the, the book of Acts, he makes sure that we understand that God moves when people pray. God wants a united church. Satan wants to divide us. But we're going to see what happens when God's people pray. See, God has this powerful word for us in 2 Chronicles 7. If you want to take notes, 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's what happens when God's people pray God's power is shown. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, and this is always in a group. This isn't just an individual. We do it as individuals, but we do it together. If we humble ourselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, God says, then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Tell me that's not a prayer that we need in America today. If the people of God in the church would only gather and pray it. See, when, when you and I, God's people, when we gather together in prayer, when we're humble, when we seek God's face and not our own will, because it's easy to pray for what we want. When we turn from our sin and not point out the sin of other people, and we reach out to God, God begins to move. God hears those prayers. He forgives. He heals. And what we're about to find out is that he breaks the chains of prisoners, literally. And if you think God can't break the chains that are holding you captive, just wait till you hear this passage. When I asked you when we started, what is it that's got you down? What do you need from God today? Maybe you feel like you are just being burdened by chains that you cannot shake. Go back to this passage in 2 Chronicles. Read it. Live it. And pray it like you believe it. And then just wait to see what God will do. Because God is at work 2,000 years ago and today. Verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. On that very night that he's going to bring Peter out to the people to tell everybody his plan so that they could cheer and get so excited for him, God sends an angel. Doesn't send an army. God sends an angel to answer the prayer. And so it seems that Peter is is uh, in his cell on the floor, sleeping between these two soldiers. So there's actually two soldiers that are inside the cell with him. And it, it, it's kind of funny because you think this is overkill with the soldiers, but I think that's the point. The point is that they wanted to make sure this guy didn't get away because Herod wanted to make a statement. And so he's bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding it. Typically, for a prisoner who was on death sentence, there would be one of those soldiers whose job was to be chained to the prisoner at all times. And then they'd switch the chain and they'd take the other one off of the other soldier. This time, it's two sets of chains. Two sets of chains with two soldiers. See, God is a chain breaker. We, we sing this song. But it's really true. God is a chain breaker. So, so what are the chains that are holding you today? Because this passage is about us too, right? Is it sin? Is it addiction? Is it worry or anger or lack of forgiveness or whatever's holding you back and, and tying you down? It's just no match for the power of God if you'll give it over to the power of God. And I wonder how many times when we pray, God sends us angels. Our prayer is answered, maybe in a way that we didn't expect, and we say, wow, what a coincidence. That was so cool, you wouldn't believe what happened. 
And God's going, do they, do they not see what I'm doing? See, Peter right away doesn't even understand that, that an angel is going to be sent to him. And so we're going to go on, verse 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. And this is where I just, Adrian and I were reading this, and this is like God's sense of humor. Light shone in the cell. You'd think the prisoners of the soldiers would wake up, but it doesn't say they did. And the angel struck Peter on the side and woke him. Can't you just see this angel? So if you think that angels are only spiritual beings, he physically struck Peter. And he says, get up. Get up, Peter. Dress yourself. Oh, excuse me. We jumped forward. No. He struck him on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And so David thought it would be fun to have chains represented up here. I thought prison chains were not the same thing we used to tow like dump trucks out of the ditch, but that's what we got. So the moment this angel says that, he strikes Peter, and God begins to move. And what happens is these chains, and I think these are a little heavier, but for dramatic effect, the chains fall to the floor. And if you think God can't release you from the chains that bind you, you're wrong. So often we want to stay held to our chains. We want to stay stuck to them. But the angel comes and strikes Peter and he wakes him up. Get up quickly. And the chains fell off of his hands. The angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. Can't you just imagine this? This angel's got to go, Peter, I know you don't expect me to be here. I know you know people are praying, but God is actually answering your prayer. So get up quickly and dress yourself. It seems like an obvious thing. But the angel says, you're going to want clothes on for where you're going. And he says, put on your sandals. And I have to believe the angel said, put on your sandals because we're leaving. We got somewhere to go. Come on, Peter, get your clothes on, put on your sandals. Then he says, and put on your cloak also. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And I got to believe the angel said that because, Peter, we're not coming back. Take everything you have, put it on because we're leaving. God's setting you free. And when we pray and God breaks the chains, God always brings us to another place. God doesn't bring you back to what enchained you in the first place. God brings you somewhere else. Sometimes our stinking thinking brings us back to where we were, but God never does. And this angel strikes Peter, wakes him up, tells him to get dressed. Put on your sandals, put on your cloak. We're heading out. We're not coming back. And I have to wonder how often God does that for us when we don't recognize it. God delivers us to a new place, to a new opportunity But he doesn't return us to the old one. Verse 9, and he went out and followed him, Peter following the angel. He didn't know what was being done uh, done by the angel was not real. He thought he was seeing a vision. Remember, Peter had seen a vision, so he's thinking he's just having a dream. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. What I think is so interesting, it doesn't say the guards were sleeping. It doesn't say the guards in the cell were sleeping. The angel just released the chains and walked Peter out. When it got to the gate leading into the city, the heavily locked and armed gate, it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and then immediately the angel left them. What does that mean? Cindy was, came up to me afterwards and she said, you know, this is so cool. Immediately the angel left them. Why, why is that? Because God had done everything that he needed to do for Peter. He had given him the clothing he needed. He had given him the angel to release him. He brought them free of the brought him free of the prison. And now it was Peter. Now it's time for you to go. Now it's time for you to seek my heart and go to where you need to get to. The angel had done everything he needed to do. God had given Peter everything that Peter needed. 
And Peter came to himself and he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. The angel had left him. He was on his own at this point. He didn't get to ask the angel. He just knew who to give credit to the uh, miracle for. Then he realized this. He went to uh, the house of Mary, the mother of John, who uh, was the mother of Mark, where many were gathered together. Excuse me, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. This woman was the mother of the missionary Barnabas, who we meet later on. So why is it that he wants to go to her house? Well, it's a safe place. My guess is that this is kind of his life group. These are the people he had spent time with. These are the ones that he would have known were praying for him. So we get to verse 13, and he knocked at the door of the gateway. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. I love that. If you ever think that the Bible is a made-up book, it's things like this that make me absolutely convinced that it's not, because no one would have thought of this. This is so much what you and I would do. Rhoda was a servant girl. She knew the other people were inside praying. They knew that she knew that Peter was in prison. She knew that they were praying for him to be released. All of a sudden, there's Peter standing at the gate knocking, and she goes, Wow, it's Peter. I gotta go tell everybody. And she runs inside and leaves Peter outside the gate, who's just gotten away from prison, who certainly has people looking for him. But isn't that just like us? We, we react so strongly to what God is doing, sometimes we don't even have our senses about her, about us. But she gets to the group of people and they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so. And they kept saying, well, it's an angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and they were amazed. They're praying that God takes care of Peter. I'm sure they're praying that God got Peter out of prison. There he was standing at their gate knocking. And she's, they're saying, nah, it's just an angel. It's not Peter. It couldn't be. God couldn't do that. How often do we pray for miracles and then not actually believe that God can do it? But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. This James now is James, the brother of Jesus. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. Could you imagine when they woke up in the morning and he was gone and nobody had a clue? None of those soldiers, 16 of them, four of them on duty at the time, none of them had any idea what had happened to them. Verse 19, and after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they be put to death. Then he went from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So Rhoda, in her joy, doesn't open the gate. He ends up explaining to the people, but he has them be quiet. Herod finds out what's going on. He questions the soldiers. They don't have a good answer. They don't have an explanation. They don't know what's happened. And so they pay the price that every soldier paid when a prisoner escaped. They paid the price that the, sol- the prisoner was going to pay. If you, owed, if you owed Herod money, the soldier would have to pay the money. If the prisoner was on death row and there was a death sentence to be carried out, the soldiers paid with their own life. So he had the soldiers killed because that was the penalty. But then Herod himself leaves town. He walks away. You got him under, if in his mind, he's not thinking, "Uh uh-oh, here we go again. A little bit like this Jesus thing all over again. Verse 20, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace. 
because their country depended on the king's country for food. Once again, Herod's job is to keep everybody happy. So in verse 21, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, he took his seat upon the throne, and he delivered an oration to them. He gave them a speech. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of man. And Peter and, and Herod just soaked it all in. That glory that should always go to God, Herod was more than happy to take for himself. The people were praising him and he loved it. It meant there would be peace and his power was going to stay put. He was manipulative and his, he was deceptive all for the sake of power and position and a place in the minds of sinful people. And those sinful people were so happy to praise him, and he took it. In verse 23, and immediately, an angel of the Lord, so the second one in this chapter, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. I love that verse. you got to read the, the order of how things happen. He was struck down, he was eaten by worms, and then he died. So there's this historian named Josephus. He talks about it. And what Josephus said is that Herod appeared to suffer something like a stroke because he was alive for five days, but he was immobile. He couldn't move. He couldn't do anything. And then in the Greek, the word is skolex that's used here. Skolex is a, is a word for intestinal worms. So Herod, because he took the glory that should have gone to God, ends up having a stroke he ends up being unable to move. All of that anger and all of that evil inside of him kind of works its way from the inside out. Remember I said at the beginning, that stuff will eat you from the inside out? Well, for Herod, intestinal worms ate his stomach from the inside out. And after five days of that, he died. It appears God cooked his good time with Herod's demise. Verse 24, but, however... The word of God increased and multiplied. God is still at work. God is the ultimate source of power on earth. And, and when people intend harm to God's chosen the way that Herod intended harm to Peter, they'll face God's judgment. And that's, that's a comfort that we can take as well as God's people. God's got you. So do you know where God's at work in your life? Besides just praying, are you paying attention and giving him credit? Are you being grateful? See, I, I see God at work around here all the time, and it's exciting. God doesn't always do what we expect. God doesn't even always do what we want. But God always does what's best for us. God always does what we need. I mean, who would have expected an angel to show up in Peter's jail cell to break his chains? I can't imagine they would have even thought to pray for that. But when we're people of faith and when we're people of prayer, God always does what we need even if it isn't what we ask for. See, God will hear you. God will forgive, and God will heal. God loves you, and he wants his very best for your life. The question is, is that what we want for our lives? Do we want God's very best for us, or do we just want what we want? Do we want our stuff, and do we want life the way we want, and what we think we're working for, and what we think we've earned and deserved, or do we want God's very best for us? So I'm thinking, you know, we, we kind of need to think along the lines of God. We believe in you. Help us in our unbelief. Help us in our doubt. 
Help us in our weakness. Help us when we're like Herod and we're proud and we refuse to be humble before you. And God, break our chains because we've all got them. We're all carrying stuff from day to day that we need to get rid of. God, move in us. Move through us. God, help us. Heal us. Love us. If you can understand, and and when I asked you what you need from God this morning, if you can relate to the chains thing, whatever it is that's burdening you, that's, that's holding you down, that's keeping you back, that's keeping you sad or depressed or angry. Stop carrying those things like chains, thinking you can do something about them and give them over to God. That's like being sick and refusing to go to a doctor to get healthy. We, we think that we need to do it on our own, but God invites us to give all of those chains to Him in humble prayer. It doesn't matter what it is. Not demanding, but believing. Believing that God can and will heal us. Because God can and because God is at work. In your life, in our church, and in our world. Then it's just a matter of believing. Turning it over to God in prayer and giving God room to act and to move in your life. Because that's what God wants to do. God wants to show His power at work in your life for His glory. Not for ours, but for His. And the question is, are are we willing to let God do that? Because God is ready. Let's pray. God, thanks for this passage. Thanks for Peter and his faith. Thank you for the angel that you sent to the jail cell. Thank you for the servant girl, Rhoda. Thank you for Mary and her faithfulness in gathering people to pray. God, thank you for hearing their prayers. Thank you that we know that we can trust that you hear us as well. We understand the idea of chains, God. We understand the idea of things that we just can't let go of, that we can't release for whatever reason we think that we can't. Things that we hold on to and it is like dragging chains. But God, you're the chain breaker. You're the healer. You're the one who is able to do what we cannot do. All the power in this world, all the power in this universe belongs to you. And yet we still try to fix things on our own. God, help us to believe in you. Help us to trust you. Help us to accept that whatever it is that's going on, God, we know that you've got it under your control. So God, for who you are, for what you do, for the power that you have, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we journey through the season of Lent on our way to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, you know, we really do mean the words that are on the wall back there. Nothing can stop When God is at work, God cannot be stopped by anything here on earth. We can quit being a part of it, but yes, change is inevitable. But you know what? And through that change, God gives new opportunities to new people. And God continues to be at work. And I I really hope you take this text seriously today. And whatever it is that you've got in your heart, whatever is weighing you down, whatever is burdening your soul, give it over to God. Don't carry it like chains. Allow God to be a chain breaker in your life the way he has been throughout history for so many people. All that we need to do is to pray and to believe and then to give God the credit and the glory when he acts.